Can you hear me? There we go. Good to see everybody. Glad that you're here. Merry Christmas and welcome to all of you. If somebody will grab our door back here and shut that, we will get started. It's good to see those of you who are here live with us and many continue to join us every Wednesday night live stream by different places, different states from around the United States and we're always glad to have you as well. And looking forward to our study of the Gospel of John as we continue on tonight is chapter 16. The study is entitled Portrait of Jesus. Gospel of John, of course, and we're looking at now we are to chapter 16. So if you have your device with you or a Bible with you, ESV is the version we always go through and looking forward to our time together tonight. I want to remind you, next Wednesday night, next two Wednesday nights, we will not be here having Bible study. Uh, that's a break for Christmas. And then we will return uh, three weeks from tonight, which is January the 5th, and that will be our next time. We'll continue to go through the Gospel of John as we start back after January 5. We'll go through February the 2nd. We'll wrap up with the last chapter, chapter 21, on February 2nd. The following Wednesday, then we'll start on February the 9th in the study of the book of Revelation. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that'll take us for uh, several months there to get all the way through everything that it's listed there in Revelation. So that's where we're going. Just wanted you to know that this will be the last time that we meet together until next year, January the 5th. Let's pray together and we'll get started for our study time together this evening. <clears throat> Father, we want to thank you tonight for your word. Your word is power, it's instruction, it's inspiration. God, it is you speaking to us every time we open the pages. And I pray tonight God, you would show us what you want us to know. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Lord, tonight we're in a passage that, that where Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to come and to lead us into all truth. And so I pray that you'll do that even tonight as we study together. God, thank you for those who are here in person. Thank you for those who have joined us by, by a live stream. Pray, Father, your blessings upon them. And I just pray again that you'd teach us what you want us to know from your eternal word, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let me remind you where we have been and where we are into chapter 16. You might remember that I've mentioned to you that one half of John's gospel is all about one week of Jesus' life. Imagine somebody's writing your story of your life and one half of what they write is just one week of your life. You would say, well, there's a lot more that happened. Absolutely, there's a lot more that happened. John tells us that in the last chapter. There was a lot more that happened. We don't know. But we are given what God wants us to know, the Holy Spirit wants us to know. But one half of his gospel contains only one week of Jesus' life. So now we reach chapter 16. The end has begun. Jesus is about to die on the cross for our, for our faith and for our salvation. John chapter 13, we saw in that chapter, Jesus showed the disciples the way of leadership, the way to greatness. He washed their feet. He instituted the Lord's Supper. Last week, we saw chapters 14 and 15. Jesus talked to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in chapter 14, he promised for the first time, I'm going away, and as I go away, I'm going to send you somebody better, a helper. Well, who could be better than Jesus? 
not better in quality, but doing different things. Allows you to do different things and even greater things, he said, than I do. So that was the first promise in chapter 14. And then chapter 15 last week, the powerful chapter, I am the vine, you are the branches. You cannot do anything apart from me. And that was the, what he told us last week and told the disciples last week. So now he's getting ready to, to prepare them for his impending death on the cross, for his in the grave three days, for his resurrection, for his walking among them 40 days after the resurrection and then ascending to heaven and come with the promises coming again. He's preparing them for all of that. Now, remember, the disciples have in their mind, believing him to be the Messiah, what he's going to be like. They've been told their whole lives, here's what the Messiah is going to do. And so they have given up everything. They've left their jobs. They left their family. And for three and a half years, they have followed this man, believing him to be the Messiah. So how do you tell a group of people who has one thing in their mind and you can't convince them otherwise that things are not going to be as they think? How do you tell them that? Well, that's what he tries to do in John chapter 16. And it gets a little awkward. You think it would get a little awkward because they didn't really get it. And even tonight in this chapter, they said, ah, we got it. He said, no, you don't. And they didn't. So let's look at Jesus now beginning to try to share with him what it means for him having gone away. Now, let me say first of all, before we start, you know how the story ends. And so you're reading this with what's already happened in mind. They weren't. It's a lot easier to understand something when you see the end, right? Whenever you're reading a book or you're watching a movie. If you know how it ends and then you rewatch it, it's a little different than when you're in it in the moment. It's the same with the disciples. They didn't know what he was talking about, but we do. So try to put yourself into the minds and the hearts of the disciples for the first time when Jesus was speaking these words. So look at letter A on your outline, the hatred of the world. That's how he ended chapter 15, and we pick up with the first four verses of chapter 16. Jesus said some interesting things. Verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Let's stop there for a moment. I'll spend most of our time toward the front half of the, of the chapter tonight. Let's stop there for a moment. Now, it was very common in biblical days, not just for biblical teachers, but for any kind of teacher, secular, sacred, it didn't matter. It was very common for teachers, rabbis, before they died to give a farewell discourse. And they would make that a matter of public record. So what Jesus is doing here was a very common practice of the day. They would give farewell discourses of somebody, if you were an important person especially, everybody wanted to hear what are the final things he's going to say before they leave. 
And so now Jesus gives them a farewell discourse. Now, time out for a second. Let's imagine you're a disciple. You don't think he's going anywhere. What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean your farewell discourse? You're a Messiah. You're not leaving. And so the fact he started into his farewell, they're probably going, whoa, 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 hold up a second. You're not going anywhere. You're, you're going to rule and the Romans are going to, they're going to bow to you. And we're going to overthrow them. And for the first time in hundreds of years, we are going to be free. You're not going anywhere. But he begins to go into his farewell discourse. And he said, I said all of these things to keep you from falling away. There you have it. You can be lost once you're saved, right? That's what it sounds like. Doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus is saying, I'm telling you these things, so once you're saved, you'll not be lost again. But that's not what he's saying. Falling away sounds like it. He's not talking about salvation. The word that is used there in the Greek language is scandelathron, which we get the word scandal from. It means to stumble or to be caught unaware. Let me substitute those words, and it's a whole different meaning to us. These things, I, I, I have said these things to you so that you, to keep you from stumbling. That's a little different than losing your salvation. Or, I've said all these things to you to keep you from being caught unaware. It makes more sense than losing your salvation. Why would he tell them, I don't want you to fall away? Because apostasy was a very great danger for the disciples. In fact, apostasy was a greater danger than death. Think about it. The disciples all died for their faith, but some of them fell away from the faith. And what they hated the most after the resurrection was that the devil led some to apostate fall away they didn't grieve the ones that died they, they were the heroes so falling away was greater than death and so he said I'm telling you these things I don't want you to be one of the apostates by the way the word apostasy literally means it's not a Christian term it's not a religious term we think of apostate oh that's a Christian no it's not it was a secular term that meant stand away from something Stand off. So Jesus said, I don't want you to stand off from me. I don't want you to stand off from who I am and what I'm about. And the disciples, that was very real temptation for them because the government was killing them. It's a real temptation for you to not be quite as close to what the Bible teaches because our culture really doesn't want to hear it and they don't believe it. And if you believe it, you're going to be called names. So we're tempted to stand back from that too, which is the word apostate. Then he said in verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So Jesus looked at the disciples, 
said, I'm praying for you guys. I'm teaching you guys because there will come a time soon from now. The hour is coming. Notice all the way through chapter 14 is the hour. The hour, their hour, your hour, my hour. The hour is close. And things aren't out of control as much as you think they are. They just look it. That's a good word for our culture, isn't it? They look totally out of control. Look like Christianity and God has just lost all control of our culture. No, he's not. It's their hour right now. But he's in control. And so he said, that they, the, the hour's coming. They will put you out of the synagogues. They'll excommunicate you. Who will? The Jews. So the very first persecution of Christians came not from the Romans, but from God's people, the Jews. You see, we have this, we have this mindset, boy, those early Christians, those Romans, man, they, I mean, they threw them to the wild beast and they had them, it was just, they killed them, it was terrible. But the first persecution came from the Jews, not the Romans. And if you were a Christian, you were kicked out of the synagogues. That meant that you were excommunicated. That meant you, were, you, you had no part of Jewish social life anymore. You were an outcast if you were kicked out of the synagogues. And notice here he said, and those people that kick you out think they are offering service to God. The Greek word that's used there for service to God is the exact same word for the, the priest doing their temple duties. Now think about that. The priests come in and they want to honor God and glorify God by doing what God has called them to do as a part of the worship service. And they want to glorify God in doing that. And they thought kicking Christians out of church was as much a part of honoring God as the offerings they would bring in the service. Isn't that something? Exact same word. So, religious persecution was right around the corner. Disciples didn't know it. Saul of Tarsus, he's lurking. He's going to start arresting and beating and imprisoning and taking away resources and killing. He's right around the corner. So Jesus talked about the persecution they're going to face first. Well, in our day, it's a little different, still persecution, but persecution comes primarily from two sources, Muslims and communism. Those are the two sources worldwide of persecution of believers. There are more people dying for their faith right now in Jesus Christ, right now worldwide than ever in the history of the world, even more so than first century. And it comes from two sources, Muslims and communists. They're in a country that many times imprisons, lets them die in prison, beats them. And isn't it interesting that a gospel so glorious has always hated people who I always had people who hated it so passionately. The gospel that's glorious is hated so passionately. And Jesus was trying to warn them. Verse 3. 
And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They do it because they're lost. Saul of Tarsus is going to kill you because he's lost. He wasn't always lost, but he was for a while. The reason they kill and persecute and think they're offering service to God in doing that, they don't know Jesus and they don't know the Father. Verse 4, but I have said these things to you, that when their hour, there's that their hour, comes, you may remember that I told you. Go to, look, next, go to letter B on your outline, the work of the Holy Spirit, verses 5 to 15. Verse 5, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? Now, hold on a second. Thomas asked him once. And Peter asked him once. Lord, where are you going? But, but they asked kind of... Casually, they, they really, it wasn't an intent wanting to know. They were more interested in their own sadness because he was leaving than they were wondering where he's going. And so Jesus said, I, I, I didn't tell you earlier because you really weren't interested. You're more interested in you than you were in where I'm going. Verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're sad for you. You're not sad for me. You're sad for you that I'm leaving. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital, notice the capital H there, it's a person, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I, excuse me, I will send him to you. <clears throat> now, stop for a moment. Let's think about this. How on earth can it ever be to our advantage that Jesus leaves? And, and how, when have you ever heard somebody who's about to leave this earth... Tell somebody it is for your good that I'm going away. Now, I've, I've heard said the opposite. I've, I've seen loved ones that they're, they're dying and they're suffering and they have no quality of life. And I've heard people say it's good that they go. They, they, they just need to go on. It's good that they go. But I've never heard anybody say it's good for you that I go. And that's what he said. It is good for you that I'm leaving. It is to your advantage that I go. How on earth will it ever be good Jesus leaves? He said the reason it is is because once I go, the helper, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Now what's the difference in the two, Jesus being here and Holy Spirit being here? Look at the difference. When Jesus was here, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. He could be one place at one time. 
He was in Capernaum or he was in Jerusalem. When he was in Jerusalem, he was not in Capernaum. When he's in Capernaum, he's not in Jerusalem. But when the Holy Spirit's here, wherever you are, Holy Spirit is. It can be in Jerusalem. It can be in Capernaum. Wherever. These disciples, these that were hearing Jesus speak this, they were going to be scattered across various parts of Asia Minor to preach the gospel. If Jesus were still here, he could only be with one of them. Right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, God's power is with every one of them. So it's good for you that I go. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's the helper for every one of you, wherever you go, 24-7. It's good that I go. So the paraclete comes. You see, the Holy Spirit has always worked through a body. Whenever Jesus came, the Holy Spirit wasn't just floating around. The Holy Spirit filled him and worked through him. When the disciples were ministering in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit wasn't just floating around. He filled them, Peter and Paul and, and the church, his body. The Holy Spirit fills. Holy Spirit's always fill the body to do the work, not just floating around them as a ghost. So, so why do people today believe they can have the Holy Spirit's empowering, but they're not a part of a body? I talked about that last Sunday, didn't I? They're not a part of a local body. But oh, the Holy Spirit's going to, yeah, the Holy Spirit is, well, he works through bodies. Get involved in a local church and let him work through you there. That's how he works the best. Always has. Verse 8. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now think of this. The word conviction is used 18 times in the New Testament. Now think about this. See, we're living on the other side of the Holy Spirit. We've always known conviction. We've always known what it feels like, what it's like when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, they had never experienced that. Holy Spirit hadn't come yet in fullness. So the only conviction the disciples had ever experienced was from the Old Testament reading it, or from John the Baptist, or from Jesus, but not from the Holy Spirit. Man, that was different. The Holy Spirit's conviction was different. Why? He convicted in three ways. Notice it tells us in verse 9. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So whenever the Holy Spirit comes, he will judge, he will convict us concerning sin, that we're not where we're supposed to be with God. You know what that's like. He'll convict us of righteousness. Jesus is righteous and we're not like him in many ways. He'll convict you of that. And he'll also convict you of judgment. That one day we will stand before God and be judged. And that moment, that moment bothers us to a degree. And the Holy Spirit will bring conviction centered around 
those three areas. Merrill Tenney, the great New Testament uh, Bible teacher for many, many years, said, quote, a court can convict a man of murder, but only the Holy Spirit can convict a man of unbelief. It's got to be the Holy Spirit's job that brings people to faith in Christ. I can't talk somebody into it. You can't talk somebody into it. Only the Holy Spirit can bring somebody to faith in Christ. Look at verse 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Stop there for a moment. There's one phrase in there that's vitally important. I want you to hear it. Look at the phrase, for he will not speak on his own authority. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit will not just tell you whatever he wants to tell you. He's only going to tell you what God has already told you. They don't contradict each other. Somebody contradicts each other. It's a, oh, it's a liars. Father God, Jesus, Son, Holy Spirit, they're not liars. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you one thing God the Father and Jesus have already said differently. Why is that important? Because all the time, folks, I hear it. You probably do too. All the time I hear people say, well, pastor, I know that's what the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit led me to do this. No, he didn't. No, he did not. I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. The Holy Spirit never led you to do something that goes against God's word, ever. He doesn't speak of his own authority. God's already told us, and the Bible is what God's told us. So why would God tell us one thing in the Bible and the Holy Spirit tell you something different? He doesn't. So every time... Somebody tells me that. I try not to be blunt, but every time somebody says that, I say, no, he didn't. Well, how do you know what the Holy Spirit told me? Because Jesus said he will not speak of his own authority. He'll not tell you something different than what's already been said. So if you're one of those tonight saying, well, I know the Bible says this, but I believe the Holy Spirit has led me a different way. You're being deceived because it is not the Holy Spirit that's led you that. Maybe your own desires but it's not the Spirit of God. Now look what he says next, verse 14. He will glorify me. Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, here's another point that's important, verse 14. Another phrase, important, I want you to hear. He will glorify me. I've been in, I've been in churches before that emphasize the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and gifts, and they glorify the Holy Spirit more than they glorify Jesus. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll glorify me. 
I've heard many Pentecostals say before, oh, you Baptists, you're, you're scared of the Holy Spirit. Ha, ha, ha. You're, and then you go to their church, which I, I even preached in many of them. And all you hear talked about is the Holy Spirit. You hardly hear Jesus mentioned. So be careful. Churches, faiths, preachers that glorify the Spirit over Christ. Because Jesus said, when he comes, he'll glorify me. Now go to verse 16, verses 16 through 24. Let her see, your sorrow will turn into joy. All of a sudden, verses 16 through 24, it, it kind of shifts. And, and it shifts away from the future ministry of the disciples to what Jesus wants them to know about his his dying, resurrecting, and then reappearing again. So look at verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you'll see me. So, you know, we know what he's talking about. Very clear, right? It's going to be a few days. They're going to crucify him. Three days later, he's going to rise. They're not going to see him anymore for three days. He's going to be dead in the grave. And whoa, resurrection. I always see him again. It makes clear and perfect sense to us. They're scratching their heads. Oh, hold, hold on, Jesus. A little while we're going to see you, and we'll not see you, and in a little while we will see you. And they're really confused. Verse 17, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you'll see me, and again a little while and you'll see me not, and because I'm going to the Father. They're trying to figure out this crucifixion, resurrection stuff. They have no clue. have no clue it's coming. And so they're trying to figure it out. But notice, rather than asking him, they asked each other. They said to one another, what does he, what does he mean by all this? I don't get it. You get it? I don't get it. Do you? I don't get it. Peter? Nah, I don't either. They had no clue. So they were saying, verse 18, what does he mean by a little while? The phrase little while is mentioned five times in three verses. They're, they're confused. We do not know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you'll see me and a little while and uh, you'll not see me a little while you will see me? Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. That's, of course, the crucifixion, right? You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Why? Resurrection. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, Jesus said, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born in the world. What's interesting is, it was a very common analogy in the Old Testament with the prophets. Whenever the Messiah would come, it would be like the feelings of a pregnant woman about to give birth. Isaiah mentioned it. Jeremiah mentioned it. Micah mentioned it. And so, three different prophets all use the analogy of a pregnant woman about to give birth for when the Messiah comes. And now, Jesus uses the same analogy 
as he's talking to his disciples. The birth is, well, it's not pleasant. I'm not a woman, but I've been told that. But there's joy afterwards at the child. That's what Jesus said. Crucifixion's going to be horrible. But the resurrection, oh, the resurrection's going to be great. Verse 22, so you also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. They can kill you, but they'll never take your joy. Verse 23, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You see, up until now, if they wanted something, they asked Jesus. But he's leaving. Who do they ask? He says, you'll no longer have to ask me. You'll, you'll ask the Father. And the Father will hear you. And he'll hear you with a greater sense of sweetness than the Old Testament saints. He will hear you in my name. Verse 23, in that day you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Think about this. The disciples never once had ever prayed, in Jesus' name I pray. We've probably never prayed without saying that. They had never said it before. And he said, you've never asked anything in my name, but after I leave and the Spirit comes, you ask whatever you want in my name, and the Father will give it. But bad times are coming. Let's go to letter D. I have overcome the world, verses 25 to 33, and we'll wrap up tonight. Jesus said, verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. He had. He'd kind of been talking around. Why did he not just come out and say, okay, guys, look, hang on. I'm going to die, but I'm going to resurrect on the third day. I'm going to stay here for 40 days. I'm going to send back to heaven. Why didn't he just tell them all of that? They couldn't have handled it. They couldn't have. It blown their mind. They're thinking Messiah. And so he said, I've been telling you figures of speech, but after the resurrection, all of this is going to make perfect sense. And I think that's why John wrote it. Made perfect sense after the resurrection. The hour is coming, he says, when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name and I will do not say that I will ask of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you love me and I've believed that and have believed that I came from God. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. And then he said, verse 29, his disciples said to him, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. What? They didn't get it. But they said they did. Ah, okay. Now we understand Jesus. Thanks for clearing that up. And notice his response, verse 30. They said, now, now we know that all these things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered, do you believe now? 
Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. What was he talking about? It wasn't too much longer after this, after they said, Aha, we got it. It wasn't long at all. The soldiers came to the garden to arrest him, and Peter gets out his sword and he's ready to go to battle for the Messiah. He didn't get it. And whacks the sword and cuts off the, the, the high priest servant's ear, and Jesus put it back on and said, Peter, you don't get it. But he thought he got it. And it wouldn't be that long at all after they said, oh, we got it, that Peter would be sitting around a campfire. You were with him. No, I don't know who you're talking. I don't know the man. And cursed his name. Whew, that took a quick turn, didn't it? And the Bible said in the garden, all the disciples scattered and forsook him and fled. And he was alone. Just a few hours after this. And Jesus said, the hour is coming when you will be scattered and I'll be left alone. You don't get it. Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Those are great words to close on because you know what? Sometimes we get so surprised when we are in the world and have tribulation. That just throws us for a loop. Can you believe what their, can you believe what their government's doing against Christians now? Absolutely I can. Jesus said it's going to happen. Sure. But we're shocked. And then we face a little bit of persecution. And oh, we get so discouraged. He said it was going to happen. You have peace in me, Jesus said, but in the world you have trouble. Don't be surprised. And I think this is a message we need to return to. Whenever you're feeling out there, boy, everybody's against me, everybody's against Christians, everybody's against God's Word, it makes me angry, it just makes me... Whenever you start to feel that, remember what Jesus said, you're never going to have peace in the world as a Christian, but you'll have it in Him. I saw a cartoon yesterday that was absolutely horrible. It was a cartoon, and on the first side of the panel, it had a picture of a man drowning, and he was reaching up to be saved, and the caption said, without Jesus. And the next panel showed a man on top of the water on a raft, sun shining, sunglasses on, arms back, kicked back, taking a nap, rafting on top of the water. There's a little lemonade over here, and the caption said, life with Jesus. It's horrible. Jesus never said that. He never said, you trust me, and you just kick back, put your arms back, get some lemonade, light, you'll never have any problems. And this was a Christian organization that put it out. No, he didn't say that. He said the opposite. Life with Jesus, disciples, means you're going to be beaten 
and you're going to be killed, and you're going to be taken before Saul, and you're going to have things taken away from you, and you're going to be wrapped in the skins of wild beasts, and, and you're going to have all this happen to you. But rejoice, because great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. Be faithful to death, and you'll have the crown of life. He never said, kick back and drink lemonade. Put your arms back and enjoy Jesus. But that's what you hear today. But Jesus never said that. Don't fall for that. Listen to what he said. And when you have trouble, and you have persecution, take heart. He has overcome the world. Now, next week, we'll pick back up at John 17, and we will... Jesus prays next. He doesn't talk to the disciples. It's whole chapter is nothing but Jesus talking to God before the cross. Right after he leaves 17, he goes directly to the garden. He's arrested. So this is the final prayer, and he mentions you in the prayer. Be very interesting. Three weeks from tonight on January 5th, we'll look at John chapter 17. Any questions or comments before we close? Anybody at all? All right, we'll wrap up there and we'll start back up next, actually three weeks with John 17. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you tonight for giving the disciples some powerful words. They didn't get it. And God, to be truthful, sometimes we don't get it. But Father, I just pray the Holy Spirit will continue to remind us, continue to teach us. And Father, may we follow you closely despite persecutions and trouble and peace, a lack of peace outside the world, but may we find our peace in you and may we be faithful to death and receive from you the crown of life. God, thank you for each of those who are here tonight. Thank you for those who join us by live stream. May your blessings be upon them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.